has started, and so is Bass Edge Radio here on March 1st, episode number 203. And, of course, it is presented by MegaWare Keelguard. Protect your boat from grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete boat ramps. And all you've got to do is visit them at keelguard.com. Aaron, the Great Lakes are frozen, but it's hot here in Del Rio, Texas, and we're ready right now to get Bass Edge going. What do you say? Absolutely looking forward to it. know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerful is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerful deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerful won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerful, swift, silent, secure. Visit Powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Aaron, I know it's early, buddy, but wake up. Where were you in that intro? Dude, I am just so stoked. You know, it's March Madness. The birds are chirping. We've got live coverage that you have a hangover from watching the Bassmasters Classic on TV. And guess what? The Wing Ding Tail Spinner is now made its resurgence. How can you not be excited about that? I am. I am. Let me tell you. I I think that is a little lackluster for both of us, I think, on the intro today. But but I got to say this, that, dude, the classic coverage was freaking unbelievable. I mean, for a bass fishing junkie like myself... I wasn't at the Classic this year, but uh, I felt like I was there. I was glued to my monitor that had live coverage from 9 to 1. The coverage was was phenomenal. Literally, I had like three or four chores to get done on Sunday. I sat down right here on my computer at 8.30 in the morning. I think I left at 5. The only place I went back and forth was to the fridge. <laughs> so, Well, so, uh, you know, we've been talking about for so long that what the sport needs and, and what it's kind of missing as compared to other mainstream sports is that live aspect and you know that's one of the biggest complaints that i always heard from uh, and still hear to this day from my wife is you know we can't see what's going on during the day and so your mood is obviously determined upon we can tell about in the first 30 seconds that we see you as you're coming in you know what kind of day you've had but uh, you know that's always a joke but now this live coverage aspect i think it's going to take the sport to a completely different level i really do I, you know i'm not so sure it's going to bring in a ton of new viewers but for the junkies like myself and you and bass edge nation it's really going to give us a whole new 
level of entrance into on the water aspects, which is what exactly what you're saying. That's what we're missing. You know, what are those game time decisions, those little things? What's going through the guys' minds when they're adjusting throughout the day? I mean, I was sitting here and watching, you know, Casey Ashley fish for 20 or 30 minutes and then he loads up and I'm yelling out the back of my office here, honey, Ashley's hooked up. He's got to go to one. (laughs) (laughs) It was it was great just to be able to watch it live and know that, you know, I'm sitting here in Del Rio, Texas, and Casey Ashley's out there on Lake Hartwell winning the Bassmasters Classic and I'm watching him do it on the water live. It it was fantastic, Aaron. I hope that BASS is able to continue this through the Elite Series. Of course, you know, I'm sure the expense has got to be tremendous, but uh, as far as what they're doing for the junkie of bass fishing, I think it's huge. It's really neat to see this technology finally come about. Like you said, I'm sure the cost in doing that is always a consideration, but hats off to them for adopting the the new technology and getting that to those of us that want to soak that stuff up, because you can learn so much. And, you know, talking about the new technology, let's shift gears and now kind of take a step back in time to the wing ding tail spinner that was actually featured on last week's Bass Blaster. And the funny thing about that is, Kurt, that was actually invented by Pete Pons, one of the Bass Edge alumni's fathers, way back in the day. Yeah, man, old school deal. Aaron's referring to the Rayovac down here at Lake Amistad took place, you know, just a few weeks ago. And Ray Hanselman, local guide here, uh, was able to utilize the wing ding tail spinner, ripping it out of grass to uh, key on some fish that, that was able to help propel him to the wind. Yeah, super cool, going way old school. Just really neat to see all the different things and information, actually, that you can get from Bass Blaster. So Bass Nation, be sure you, you sign up to get the Bass Blaster from Jay Kumar. The email to do that is BassBlaster at BassGold.com. So make sure you sign up for that Bass Blaster. And I'll tell you what, Aaron, we are ready to rock right into our Protect the Harvest tip this month. And of course, uh, today's tip is brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com, keeping our traditions alive for future generations. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. This is FLW Tour Pro Adrian Avina, and you're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Bass Edge Nation, we've got a really freaking cool guest today on our pro tip segment. And he's not a pro angler. He is an angler, loves bass fishing. But what he really is is probably the most innovative media guy in the bass fishing industry over the last, you know, eight or ten years. Mark Jeffries, welcome to the show. Guys, thanks for having me on. Hey, Mark, you know, I've known you for 25 years. Obviously, fished out of your boat as a co-angler way back in the day. But, uh, you know, this new venture, 20 feet deep that... uh, 
Kurt and I have watched. It's phenomenal. It's all the rage. I do have to ask, you know, just with the popularity of Fifty Shades of Grey and, and your affection towards the book and the movie, I know you really like that. Is is that kind of a spinoff of, of that genre? Man, you guys are killing me. It has nothing to do with it except maybe a number, okay? That's it. All right, don't get me off on the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, I am 50, but my last name is not Grey. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Now, th- this was a concept that myself and Matt Pangrak and Dave Rush really thought about three years ago. Uh, we are all huge sports fans, and I became just totally intrigued with the 30 for 30 series on ESPN. And we used to sit around and talk, you know, how come nobody has really done anything like this in the bass fishing world? And I said, man, we're going to do this. So over about a two-year period, we thought about it. We watched hundreds of documentaries. And when we made the decision that we were going to do this, we kind of narrowed it down and said, the guy that we want to do this for the very first documentary, no doubt, is Mike Iaconelli. So we, we decided to approach Mike. And I've known Mike for, geez, over 20 years. And I said, would you be willing to do this? And he was all for it. So I spent a number of days with Mike in New Jersey, and uh, we spent numerous days filming. And really, the whole concept is really based upon getting to know what these guys have went through to get to the point of where they're at in their career, not just from a fishing standpoint, but from a life standpoint. A lot of discussion about events that have taken place in anglers' life, both on and off the water, that has both positively and negatively affected how they've reached their pinnacle point of their career. And with Ike, you know, yes, there's a lot of controversy there with some situations that have taken place, but to be able to dive in and see what he has went through to get to be one of the most popular guys on tour in this business, it was an adventure, it was intriguing, and we really tried to capture what Mike Iaconelli is all about from uh, where he grew up all the way to some of the trials and tribulations that he's been through on the Bassmaster Elite Series. Mark, is it safe to say that, you know, obviously we're talking about uh, life choices, you know, that obviously have implications in their fishing career. But, you know, that's really kind of the tie to what you mentioned, too, of what has them arriving at where they are today and the education piece of all those decisions leading up to, you know, I went left instead of right and and so on and so forth. Would you agree? Absolutely. And one of the coolest segments of the Mike Iaconelli documentary is where we're actually on his high school campus and then we go to where he attended college and the advice that he gives about how college was really where decisions were made on what he wanted to pursue from a career standpoint and how much influence that people had during his college years and going the direction that he went. He is a very, very emotional person, and and I think everybody that follows his sport knows that, but one of the coolest things that I got to experience is I got to see the raw emotion and all of the intangibles that goes along with him going back to some of those places on campus, going back to the house that he grew up in, and I think we did a fairly good job at portraying those emotions and showcasing 
what Mike went through in his early years to the point where he finally decided, hey, this is what I want to do. And the advice and the experience that he's went through, invaluable to somebody that really wants to know more about what it takes to get in this business. Mark, here, here's the deal for me. What it really does is, is it humanizes these anglers. As fans, we see them hold big fish up on stage. We see them cast. We see them fish a dock. We see them fish a ledge. We, we're learning how to catch fish from these guys. But really what 20 feet deep, it humanizes the individual. It really places you inside of where they came from, how they grew up. And that's what I really love about this show. It makes people see that, hey, look, Ike screams. Ike catches big fish. He's a power finesse angler and all these things we know about his fishing prowessness. But what we didn't know is who the hell is Mike Iaconelli? And the great thing is, is you're going to continue this programming and you're going to start humanizing many, many, many more anglers as this series continues. What can we look forward from 20 feet deep moving over the next several months? Well, we have two more that are in the can already. We'll be debuting an inside look at Steve Kennedy and uh, the Steve Kennedy documentary is really cool. Matt Pangrak did a great job shooting this. He spent several days with Steve and a lot of people may define Steve as the swim bait guy. And, and there is much, much more to Steve Kennedy and his life on and off the water than kind of the stereotype that everybody has about Steve Kennedy. There's another one we have in a can. We're doing a documentary on Cliff Pace. It was a very interesting situation where he got injured. He did not participate in the Elite Series right after after he won the Classic, and there were multiple situations that took place during that Classic and post-Classic that there are a lot of questions that remained, and I think we answer a lot of those questions in the documentary. The other thing is, we are going to touch not only on personalities, but we're also going to touch, as this documentary series evolves, we're going to touch on subject matters and places. It's not necessarily just going to be one person. One of the cool things that we're working on is, hopefully, everybody that listens to this is familiar with the Hemphill gang. Well, it's been almost 30 years since the original Hemphill gang has sat down together and actually discussed their opinions and some of the experiences that they had together 30, 40 years ago in East Texas. So uh, a lot of personality, a lot of subject matter, and uh, we're really, really excited about some of the things that are coming up on 20 Feet Deep. That's awesome. Tell everybody exactly how they can find 20 Feet Deep online. Bass Zone, websites, give us all the juice on how they get a hold of this programming. Well, they can always go to BassZone.com, and there's a link right at the top of the page, or they can go directly to the 20 Feet Deep website. It's 20 and then FTDeep.com. That'll take you right to it. And the documentaries, they're going to range anywhere from 30 minutes all the way up to almost 60 minutes, just depending on what the subject matter is. But uh, it's a great thing. We're having a lot of fun doing it. And, you know, in my older age, Kurt, you know, man, I've been doing this for a while, over 25 years. I'm getting up there. It's a lot easier to sit in front of a computer and produce these things than it is to sit on the water for eight (laughs) hours and chase you guys around on the water. Well, Mark, what I appreciate is you've always uh, pushed the envelope as far 
far as just being on the front line, obviously providing coverage, education, everything about the sport has always came, in my opinion, through Bass Zone. Certainly been a huge partner with Bass Edge from you know the time that we started. So thank you so much for providing this week's Pro Tip of the Week, brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com, keeping our traditions alive for future generations. Two fishermen came together with one agenda, to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish, with our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride. Extreme rough water just doesn't exist. We're not just building a boat, we're building a legend. Legend Boats. I am Pro Angler Seth Fighter, and you're on the juice right here with Bass Edge Radio. Spring is in the air way down here in the Southland, and those big females are getting fatter as the days go by with the spawn beginning to get on a lot of people's minds. We're going to dissect this time of year with one of the most successful dock fishing anglers in bass fishing. In this episode's Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight, we have Major League Fishing competitor and BASS Elite Series angler Andy Montgomery. Pleasure to have you on the show, Andy. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. You bet, Andy. You know, I've watched your career from your early days on the FLW Tour and, you know, now competing mm-hmm. some years on both the FLW and Bass Tours as well as Major League Fishing. And although I'm sure, you know, something you might want to avoid, we would be remise if we didn't talk about, at least real quickly, the classic you know, a lake not too far from <laughs> a, a lake not too far from your hometown, and I know it's not the finish you wanted yeah. or expected, but you know, the bottom line is you qualified, and that puts you in a completely different league of any other anglers that are out there. But how did you approach it, and and what would you have done differently if you could go back and and change? Yeah, it? you know, I don't know that I could have done much different. Um, unfortunately, I hadn't fished the lake a lot, even though it's only an hour and a half from my house. Um, you know, my preparation was a lot like a lot of other guys. I spent a lot of time down there in December, you know, just getting ready. And, you know, I had a tremendous practice, and it carried over into our official practice. And I was catching some fish really deep, and, and I didn't think the cold would affect them. And, and I'm sure, still not sure that it was the cold, but uh, something definitely affected them. Uh, they made a move. You know, if you guys noticed, there wasn't very many spotted bass weighed in. Um, so for some reason, the spotted bass didn't bite, and it could have very easily been one on spotted bass. So 17, 18, 19 pounds of all spots is, is very, very doable on that lake. So uh, I really don't know what happened. It just uh, something changed, and, and I never was able to adjust. Yeah, it was really kind of a crazy event. You know, nobody really had the consistency. Even the guys that caught 18 or 19-pound bags, you would see them, you know, struggle the next day. The only guys that really did well were, like you said, you know, the consistency. If if you kind of stayed in that 14 to 16 range and then had, you know, one good day, that's kind of what put those guys in the top 10 and gave them a, a, an opportunity to potentially win the event. Right. What do, what do you think? It, well, I mean, you see some guys catch them on docks. Uh, you saw guys yeah. catch them deep. You know, you had Takahiro leading after two days. He He was consistently catching them deep and, and matter of fact he was on one spot then 
Then you had, you know, the Dean Rojas and, and, uh, Skeet the first day come out with big bags and they were up shallow around docks and, and, uh, then all of a sudden they couldn't back up their pattern. Do you think that that was purely effect of the cold? Do you think it was the shallow fish were just running out on some of those guys? And then quite frankly, I hear, you know, you were saying you were fishing deep and, you know, I would have thought, dang, Andy's got to be up there shallow, right? I did spend some time shallow, but, you know, that place notorious for having a hard time to back up, you know, your catches on day after day. And there's, you know, where Takahiro fish, it's a pretty popular community hole uh, that's kind of known for largemouth. So uh, even though he caught them deep, he caught mostly largemouth. He caught a few spots, but the majority of what he caught was largemouth. You know, I just really think that the tournament changed when the spotted bass didn't bite. And for whatever reason, that, that happened. You know, Brett Height is one of the best spotted bass fishermen in the country, and he always catches them at Hartwell back in the, even in his FLW days. And I think the first day he only had one fish at, you know, around 1 o'clock or so, and then went up around some docks, was able to catch some, you know, finish out his limit and have a good tournament. So Mark Davis, I talked to him, and he was he was catching some good ones on a spoon, and they didn't bite. You know, something happened to make them deeper spotted bass not not bite, and it really changed the tournament for a lot of guys. And the cold, you know, you seen Skeet and you seen Dean catching big bags the first day. There wasn't very many fish up there that would bite. So they kind of picked them fish off, and there was one particular creek that was really hot. It's called Light Log, or, or some people call it Lightwood Log. Um, that's where Bobby was, where Skeet was, where Dean was. So for some reason, them fish in that particular creek kind of bit a little bit first day on the boat docks. And, and the rest of the lake, they, they really didn't bite, because I know I fished some really good docks, and for me, they didn't bite, and I know for a lot of other guys, they didn't bite. You know, it's all about area, and then the deep fish really changing, either moving or just not biting. Very intriguing classic. Of course, we got to give a shout out to Casey Ashley. Congratulations to him yeah. for uh, winning that huge event. And uh, Andy, let's get right into uh, some of your specialties, specifically dock fishing. When you started right. fishing as a young angler in South Carolina, what was it about dock fishing that made such an impact on you? You know, it's just kind of a product of where I grew up. Dock fishing is big on like. Lake Wiley and Lake Norman, it's, it's the way that the majority of the tournaments are won, even when I was growing up. So uh, it's just something that, you know, you kind of had to learn to do if you wanted to compete in this area. And this is a strong area that I live in just because there's so many good casters in this area, you know, just because we have to fish so many docks to compete in local tournaments. So, uh, you know, my dock fishing knowledge and, and my casting ability really is just a, a product of where I grew up. You know, Andy, that's uh, in a similar situation. I kind of cut my teeth on Lake of the Ozarks, which that is is just infested mm-hmm. with floating docks that has the capsulated foam. Right. And, and really, if you cannot get your bait in and around and under and, uh, you know, really pick those docks apart, you're, you're not going to catch any fish. Right. But more importantly, you know, I always get the question, and, and I'd like you to weigh in on this, what makes a good stretch or area of docks consistently successful because you know as well as I do there's docks that you can go back to year after year after year and it seems like those are always the ones that's going to produce not only quantity but quality of fish right you know some of that changes with the time of year and if you're going to a new lake it's really easy to base it on the time of year you know right now we're kind of in the pre-spawn so I'm gonna look for the docks that's, that's kind of situated on the points going into 
spawning cove. And, and this time of year, I really focus on the poles because it seems like you catch more fish off the poles during the pre-spawn. But then if you really know a lake, kind of like Ozarks or like me on Lake Wiley and Lake Norman, you're right. There's just certain docks that consistently hold fish year-round. And, you know, a lot of that's contributed to uh, brush. Um, it seems like the dock that's got brush on it is one that's going to hold fish year-round. And then there's certain docks around here that's really good pre-spawn spawn and they may be just a isolated dock that doesn't have anything on them so uh for me the docks that there's good year round are, are usually got some type of brush on probably a fisherman lives there it may be something that we don't know like uh you know, the lady that lives there likes to dump her uh, food out off the end of the dock. So uh, I know there's a couple on uh, Lake Norman that we've kind of learned over the years that that's where they throw all their extra food. They just throw it in the lake. And, of course, the brim and, and stuff like that get around them and eat it, which, of course, attracts the bass. So uh, sometimes it's stuff we don't know, and then sometimes it's brush that we actually know is there. Is it safe to say that you can look at docks kind of like when you're looking at massive grass mats? You, you kind of have to read the topography. Yeah and the shoreline and, and kind of look for those little indentations and, and little subtle points and stuff like that. Is, is that also a way that you kind of apply a, a strategy? Yeah, and I tell people you really got to look behind the dock and really focus on the bank. Uh, what type of bank it's on? Is it on a point? And even more deeper than that, is it a clay bank? Is it a sand bank? You know, is it a 45 bank? Is it a flat bank? Is it a steep bank? You know, more importantly than is it a big dock or, you know, is it a small dock or that type of stuff, I really like to look at the bank and, you know, focus on what type of features the bank has. It's always been better for me to do that, and that's how I can pattern the fish over the rest of the lake a little bit easier than just what the dock looks like. Andy, when you first approach a dock, let's say you go launch at Lake of the Ozarks, you know, a lake that you don't know maybe particularly as well as you do back home in North and South Carolina. What are the first couple of things that you process in your mind that you're going to notice that's going to lead you to your first cast the first cast when you pull up on that dock you know what dock i fish is really going to be based on the time of year and uh practice is that you start fishing the floats i know typically pre-spawn i really like to fish the poles but i have had some good days fishing floats so when you go to a brand new lake you really just got to kind of experiment and, and fish the floats and fish the poles and you know see where you're catching the fish and then kind of roll with it there and where i'm going to fish docks is really going to be based on the time of year where the dock is that i'm going to focus on well and speaking of the you know kind of the time of the year you know like you'd mentioned it is pre-spawn right now in much of the country and and you know poles versus right. floats and that but let's talk more specifically right. about what area of the lake that you know would you be more apt to go towards the dam or are you going to run more towards the headwaters or stay more mid lake you know and in what area are you going to concentrate on first and foremost you know there's really not a set area that i would concentrate on it's a lot easier to catch fish off docks in dirtier water so uh, typically the upper end of the lake is going to be a little bit dirtier so that may be an easier place to catch docks but on the other hand it seems like you catch uh, you know, a lot of your bigger fish off the Clearwater docks on the lower end of the lake. So uh, I just experiment with the whole lake and, uh, you know, see how it goes. Hey, guys, it's time for a short break. Bass Edge Radio is going to continue right after these messages. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 
Sign up to become an O'Reilly O Rewards member today and start earning instantly. O Rewards members earn $5 back for every $150 they spend, so if you haven't become a member yet, what are you waiting for? It's fast, easy, and free. O Rewards, it's your road to exclusive offers only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. See store for details. Stick around, and later in the show, you just might hear some Bass Edge bloopers. I know it's hard to believe, but Aaron and Kurt make a mistake once in a while. Okay, well, it happens a lot, actually. Back to the show. You're listening to Bass Edge. Bass Edge Radio, back with Andy Montgomery in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products, from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturer's requirements, visit lucasoil.com. It works. Andy, moving right into the spawn, do things change as far as uh, your approach or what type of dock you're looking for? Yeah, it does. During the spawn, unfortunately, that's that's not a great time to fish docks, but some fish do spawn around the poles of the dock. So during the heart of the spawn, I'm really going to focus on like the first set of poles off of the bank and maybe even come out two sets of poles. And instead of fishing like pre-spawn, I really like to fish a jig on docks. During the spawn, I'm going to transition to plastics like, a, you know, a, a lizard or a raised bug or some type of plastic because uh, these fish are going to be spawning around these poles. And, and we visually catch fish off beds, you know, we use, most of the time we use plastic. So uh, I'm going to transition to plastics more and I'm going to focus focus on the first set of poles off of the bank or maybe even the second set of poles off the bank. And then I'm also going to focus in the pockets, in the codes. There's places that you typically will look for for spawning fish, and if there are docks in there, then, then that's the docks of more fish. Andy, real quick, you know, let's talk about boat positioning. How important is boat positioning when you're, you know, approaching docks and fishing docks? And you know, everybody talks about what a great cast you are. What enables you to uh, be that good? You, are you trying to stay farther away from the dock? You try and stay real close to it. Give our Bass Edge listeners a little clue on how one can work a dock a little bit better with boat positioning and then how they can really understand the gist of skipping that lure or bait up next to the dock and, and be more successful in, in casting. The further you can stay away from the dock, the better you are. And that takes a little time. You know, once you get a little better skipping, you can skip a little further. Then you can stay further back from the dock. But angles are important. You know, when you're approaching a pontoon or, or you're approaching a hole in the float, you know, you want to make sure you get almost at a 90-degree angle before you make that cast. So don't try to make the cast too soon. And as far as skipping, you know, it's more of an underhand roll cast versus a sidearm. I see a lot of guys do a big sidearm sweep and, you know, you can make your bait skip a little bit like that, but you're going to be far more accurate if, if you got a little, almost a straight underhand roll cast. And, you know, I liken it to when you're a kid and you're skipping a rock in ponds or whatever, you always kind of leaned over and got real low to the water and, and skipped the rock. And it's the same way with your bait, your jig, or whatever you're skipping. When you release that bait, you want it as parallel or as close to the water as possible, and that's going to make that bait skip a little further. So uh, just kind of think of, you know, when you're a kid and skipping rock, 
rocks, you always got down real low to make that rock skip. And it's the same way with the lure. You want to release your lure really close to the water and keep it as parallel to the water as possible. And that's going to make it skip a lot better. Gotcha. That's a great tip. And and I'm sure you've seen this many times throughout your career. Uh, I've talked with several Bass Edge listeners, and they often get frustrated seeing, you know, especially during the pre-spawn and, and right around the spawn, they, these giant females, you know, they're just kind of sunning yeah. up underneath the docks. It's really yeah. hard to get them to react to anything. What What's your remedy to that situation to trigger those fish to bite? Yeah, and, and they can be difficult fish to catch, but the skipping presentation actually kind of triggers some of them fish to bite. And, you know, that's a benefit of skipping that kind of overlooked. You know, we think of it as just being able to put your bait under places that, you know, that's the only way you can get it under there. But, you know, a bait skipping across the top of the water looks just like a brim running from something. You know, we've all seen bait fish just skitter across the top of the water, and that's exactly what your jig or whatever looks like when it's skipping under that dock. So them fish sunning under them docks, when it's skipped right over his eyes, it's almost their predator instinct to bite. You know, that's a great way to just, just learn how to skip. And if you see one of them fish, just try to skip it right over his eyes, and it'll look like something trying to get away. And, again, his predator instincts to kick in, and he'll bite, I guess, out of defense or just out of aggression versus being hungry. One thing that I, you know, I just thought of as I was sitting here listening to your reply on that, does it matter, Andy, or have you seen a difference between, like, the species, let's say, a largemouth versus a spot versus a smallmouth when you're in this time of year? the kind of this pre-spawn spawn and we're talking about this dock situation and how you're approaching it do you notice a difference between the species typically smallmouth i've never really caught a lot of smallmouth around docks and there's different strains of spotted bass that act different all over the country but where i live the spots actually get up underneath the docks just like the largemouth do so spots and largemouth are very similar in this area of the country as are they they are the same in alabama the coosa river spots are very similar so the spots and largemouth really act real similar when it comes to dock fish and smallmouth i've never really had a real good day smallmouth fish and dock fish that's good to know I, I would say i would attest to you know for instance table rock you know the smallmouth that i've caught around docks have generally been you know by uh, flipping a spoon on deep docks or you know where they're schooled up right. or suspended or something like that so i was just curious on right. with that part of the country down there so i should throw out the disclaimer you know i'm asking these questions taking one for the team you know to gain all this information for bass edge listeners and for Kurt. So these lure choices I'm going to ask, of course, you know, I'm, I'm not going to write this down. I'm not going to pay attention to what you say. It's just me doing my job, Andy. So, you know, if I was to give you five rods and reels and lure choices yeah. and you could pick a different one for each rod and reel, what are those going to be yeah. when you're dock fishing? That's a lot of rods and reels. <laughs> um, well, if you if you don't you know, need all five, you don't have to choose all five. Just take right. one that's, or two that you might need. Right. Um, I'm going to have a jig. That's number one. And typically that's going to be a green pumpkin and a jig. So a jig is going to be number one. Number two is going to be a bladed jig. That's a really good dock bait that we've kind of took across the country. It was kind of started right here in the Carolinas, and we kind of made it popular all over the country. So a uh, bladed jig would be number two. A spinner bait's really good in the pre-spawn, especially in dirty water. You can't skip it, but you can still slow roll it around the poles and right down the side of the float. 
that would probably be my three base. Now, once we get into the spawn, then I'd take the jig off. I'd put a Texas rig lizard be my number one bait. So, you know, I guess four would be all I need. And uh, my two go-to dock baits are a jig and a bladed swim jig by far. Let's talk about the bladed swim jig real quick. You like special trailers you like to put on it. And Bass Edge listeners, you got to know that these guys from where Andy's around, and, and particularly Andy himself, these guys are phenomenal at casting all kinds of lures everywhere all over docks if you watch the last episode that andy was in in major league fishing he he was you know came out on fire fishing docks and and he and he built up a big lead real quick and and you see where he's where he's setting a hook on these fish dude i mean that fish you're winding him for like five minutes before he even gets out of the dock <laughs> because you've gotten your bait so far back under there and you think right. of a lure like a bladed jig that's not a lure that 90 percent of the angling world would even even think about you know trying to skip or throw up underneath the dock and i assume that you're skipping that jig under there what is it about that that makes it one real successful versus a regular jig and and why would you use one in a particular situation versus the other it's got to where if we can catch them on the bladed jig that's what we're going to use because we can cover so much more water you know it's something that we just wind back we do swim a jig a lot but that's more summertime fall post-spawn it's not this time of year pre-spawn or spawn so it seems like the bladed jig is really kind of like a spinner bait, yet we can skip it. So uh, we can still put it way under the pontoons, and it skips. The blade doesn't get in the way skipping. And again, you can cover so much more territory. You can cover so many more dots being able to just wind something instead of versus letting the jig go to the bottom and kind of having to fish it back. So uh, trailers, I like stuff I can thread on there. My favorite trailer right now is uh, Strike King Rage Bug. Just come out last year, and I caught them really good. I actually won Norman on it. I call him at Seminole. Had a top 10 there uh, on a bladed jig around docks. Uh, so uh, it's something you can thread on the hook, not something you just hook on the back because that's going to make it skip a little bit better. And I keep the color simple too. I keep it white and chartreuse or brown and black and blue. That's my three colors. So it's just a bait that's real similar to a spinner bait that we can skip, that we can put up underneath the docks where, you know, a lot of the fish live. Gotcha. That's a great tip. And Bass Edge Nation, we're going to move right into the O'Reilly Auto Parts, Better Parts, Better Prices Every Day, listener question segment. This $100 gift card goes to a question we received on our Facebook page from Gary Bedreau of Illinois. Gary's asks, during pre-spawn, my strategy is to use search baits, crank spinners, buzz baits. If I catch a bass, should I continue to move along with those baits or should I stop and work the area with plastics? Pre-spawn, I really like to continue to use the search bait. Now, if it's a target-rich environment, you know, where it's got some laydowns or some stumps or maybe even some docks, then yes, you probably need to slow down and pitch around with the target-oriented bait. But if it's not a target-rich environment, if it's just rip-rap or, uh, you know, if you're just cranking points or something, then, you know, I'd stay with it. I'd keep covering water, and you're going to cover a lot of water, which means you're going to catch more bass instead of slowing down. So there's two approaches, slowing down or keep covering water. Personally, I really like to keep covering water. Good stuff right there, Andy. And Gary, thanks for sending in that question through the Bass Edge Facebook page, and congrats 
to make it on the show. Be sure to send us an email indicating you heard it answered here by Andy Montgomery, and we will send you that $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. Questions for the anglers and comments about the show are always welcome. and should be sent to our email address, support at BassEdge.com, or make those comments on our Facebook page and Twitter handle at BassEdge. Always include your name and hometown. Well, Andy, it is awesome to have visited with you today, and we certainly appreciate you taking time out to make us all really better anglers. Any final thoughts uh, for the listeners? Getting better at your casting is really no more than practicing. Um, just spend as much time as you can on the water. I know that's tough for some working guys, but you know, me learning, I took one rod and a sack full of digs and a couple bags of chunks, and that's all I had in my boat, and that's all I could fish with. So I forced myself to learn how to skip, and, you know, if you can learn to be a better caster, you definitely don't catch more fish. That's a great tip, Andy. It's great being with you today. Uh, of course, uh, look forward to seeing you in a few weeks at the Sabine River for the kickoff of the 2015 Elite Series season. So uh, thanks again for being here. And Bass Edge Radio is going to return after this quick message. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. It was a pleasure getting able to, uh, you know, really talk to Andy quickly about the Classic. You know, we're just a, a week or so removed from the Classic, and and although he didn't have a great event, how humble is the guy? I mean, didn't make any excuses. We, you know, he went out there and fished hard, practiced hard, had a good pre-practice, and, you know, he said it. You know, he just didn't make the adjustments he needed to make to be successful. Well, Kurt, you know as well as I do, I've followed Andy for a long time. You've known him for a very long time. He is uh, too good of an angler, too consistent of an angler. He will for sure be there you know it was just it was one of those just had an off event and uh, I think there's something to learn from that by his approach and his reply and really just his calmness and security with who he is he just knows that's how fishing goes sometimes and why beat ourselves up about it I think a lot of anglers you know that's out here on the trail either doing the weekend scene or just going out on your own you know too many times we, we take that personal and then we start beating ourselves up and where does that get our mental space not a very good place you got it that, that's exactly right but boy did he bring the juice on on the dock fishing that was great education certainly a lot of tips to uh take into consideration when we're hitting the lake and we don't have a lot of docks here here at amistad of course but there's a couple at the boat landing and i've caught several fish around those docks so you don't need a ton of docks to capitalize on a little bit of dock fishing no matter now, what now is that is that the federales boat dock where you're fishing yeah. around the gunnery boats or yes yes no <laughs> <laughs> no he was definitely talking my language growing up cutting my teeth around a lot of docks and if you could not get get that bait to, to where it needed to be you simply were not going to catch them so I want to thank Andy for joining us today also quite honestly I want to thank you the listener in Bass Edge Nation for being a part of the show a part of our social media be sure to keep sending in those questions let us hear from you and tell us what you think and how we're doing for episode number 203 we are at the ramp and it's time to hit the house we'll see you next week so long everybody 
You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. And boogity, 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 and we're off. Where NASCAR has studded. <laughs> yeah, that's going to make the bloopers. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lowrance, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. Rapaholic.com.